Hi, welcome to the Awkward Angler Podcast, an authentic series talking about fishing, social justice, and storytelling with folks within the outdoor industry. I'm your host, Erica Nelson. My pronouns are she and her. I'm a self-taught angler that is passionate about sharing my learning journey. I am also a Brown Folks Fishing Ambassador and organizational leadership developer with incredible amounts of optimism. Understanding that we all have something to learn from each other, this podcast is for the aspiring, the beginner, the mediocre, and the expert angler willing to learn new skills and how to be a better ally. Working through hard conversations can definitely get a little awkward. We fumble through them and worry about getting it right. It's time to step out of your comfort zone and start getting awkward. This show is for mature audiences. Be sure to follow for updates on awkwardangler.com and on Instagram at awkwardangler. This conversation is a continuation with Amanda Jamison and her journey finding employment in the outdoor industry. We talk about her leaving her recent position at Big City Mountaineers. I can relate on so many levels as people of color face overt and covert racial discrimination from leadership as well as our colleagues. We discuss our personal stories as well as share tips and pitfalls for recruiters and organizations looking to hire for diversity. After Camber, you went to Big City Mountaineers, is that right? I did, yeah. In my interview, I said some version of uh, Jedi is work that I am very into. It is the reason that, like, the inattention to it is the reason that I left my last position. Mm-hmm. And this this isn't something that I'm going to stop pushing about. And if that's not something that you want, then we are not a good fit. Mm-hmm. And I am totally willing to pass up this job mm-hmm. if it's not a good fit. Right. And that is something that you should know just ahead of time. Yeah. They brought me on. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything was pretty solid until the coronavirus came around. Mm. Um, I, and I think that there's a lot behind that, right? We discussed it a little bit already. I think mm-hmm. that it's, it's a huge change for folks. Just a lot of people are losing their jobs. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are seeing decreased income in other ways. And uh, a lot of people have other things that they need to worry about. So like, for example, like I, some of my coworkers have children. I don't have children. Like I don't mm-hmm. have to send them to school. I don't have to worry about like that, that aspect of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, I rent. And so, yes, I have to worry about my rent, but I don't have to pay a mortgage. Like mm-hmm. I am, uh, I am a single income household. And so I'm not worried about like, suddenly I'm worried about my income being gone clearly, yeah. but mm-hmm. I'm not worried about like my uh, partner or spouse or the people that I live with losing their income and having to, to try to sort of figure that out in community. Being on the younger side and being privileged in the ways that I am, I have, like if things were to get super duper dire uh, mm-hmm. in terms of finances, like I have people that I can fall back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, it's a program-based organization. Um, mm-hmm. Every, every year takes out a, between 600 and 1,000 kids um, into the backcountry, um, mm-hmm. often for week-long wilderness experiences for older, um, older, young, pe- older young people, uh, <laughs> and then for younger students, yeah. um, just an overnight experience, just, mm-hmm. um, but usually the first time that they've slept out or camped mm-hmm. or done any of those things. Um, so... There, there was a lot of confusion, concern about whether or not it was ethical to have a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ultimately, the organization decided 
to say that 2020, 20, the 2020 season didn't seem, didn't seem feasible mm -hmm. with what we were seeing in the coronavirus and what we didn't know about the coronavirus and wanting understanding that even, even in those times that the organization serves about 70% students of color. Mm -hmm. um, and most of the people for, for various reasons who are dying from the coronavirus are disproportionately minority, mm -hmm. uh, disproportionately people of color mm -hmm. for a whole host of reasons that we don't need to get into. <laughs> but shortly after that decision was made, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, the news about Breonna Taylor come, came out, the news about Ahmaud Arbery came out, the news about <laughs> so many. Um, uh, Christian Cooper came out and then the, the, poof, the news about George Floyd mm -hmm. um, broke and started a, a summer of uprisings and started for, for me a need to, to say something. Mm -hmm. It seemed to me that as an organization that is primarily white-led mm -hmm. and as an organization that primarily serves youth of color, mm -hmm. it was going to be harder to build trust with the youth agency partners mm -hmm. uh, that we serve that are often led by people of color. Mm -hmm. um, and with our students themselves who as much as as much as we like to think of like young people as you know carefree and skipping about outside and doing all of the things like they are very deeply on social media and they pay attention to the organizations that they work with and they pay attention to like what what goes on online they're watching mm -hmm. um so don't don't discount the young people oh yeah because sure. they're, they're paying attention yeah and so I thought it was really important that the organization say something mm -hmm. about all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and BCM did, mm -hmm. um, came out and made a statement uh, about Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. um, and also made uh, statements on social media about the steps they, they wanted at the time mm -hmm. uh, to devote the organization to being anti-racist. Mm -hmm. And to, to me as a black woman, that means something very specific. Mm -hmm. um, like we were talking about earlier, that, does, that, that doesn't only mean sort of in this, in the, the we're going to take a look at our curriculum kind mm -hmm. of ways to see the ways in which it might be subscribing to white supremacy culture. Mm -hmm. But to me that, also means taking a look at, again, how mm -hmm. the organization does the work that it does and attempting to make that anti-racist as well. Mm -hmm. Anti-racist action steps were released mm -hmm. uh, with staff approval mm -hmm. and there was a lot of pushback in the wake of that posting. I don't, when, when the words anti-racist were used, I, again, I don't, I don't think that the organization had an understanding of like what the scope of that really is mm. because yes, there is the don't be racist part of it. Yeah. 
I think it's difficult for people who have, particularly white people, who have grown up swimming in white supremacy culture and who have never had much of a reason to question it, particularly as a whole, versus the, the, the aspects of it that are negative for them. Mm-hmm. To, to really have an understanding of what it means to actively attempt to subvert white supremacy culture, which mm-hmm. to me is anti-racism. Like anti-racism is a verb to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Uh, I know it's a noun, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm... But, but to, me, to me, it's a verb. It's about, again, that, that time, that and the particularly energy in mm-hmm. 2020 when mm-hmm. all of us are so tired yeah from coronavirus from all of the the sort of aftershocks of coronavirus mm-hmm. like all of us are just so 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 tired and then money as a nonprofit organization like there's not like it's it's not like it's a multi-billion dollar organization that just has money to throw around right mm-hmm. like it's got to be very specific in the ways that it spends money and it has the the board much like other larger outdoor organizations like has a board that it has to be accountable to Mm -hmm. and i think that all of this happened so fast Mm -hmm. that it, it was a it was a perfect storm of wanting to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and learning that the right thing isn't as easy as a post on social media that commits to it or um, discussions with other organizations. Although that is a part of, like both of those things are a part of the work. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Um, but it's also really, really important to change the, the culture and the way of doing things because it's, it's strange. In the nonprofit world, there's a lot of even though they are mission-driven organizations, there's a lot of business that seeps in. Mm-hmm. And it's not wholly misguided, in my opinion. Like, I do think that an organization has to be financially sound. But I, I think that it's really, really important to, as a nonprofit organization, to, to have an understanding of particularly if you are a nonprofit that works or claims to work with mm-hmm. slash for mm-hmm. uh, people of color, people with disabilities, people of other marginalized identities, queer mm-hmm. people. Um, it, is, it is so important to have that human element that I feel like we've been kind of dancing around in our conversation today mm-hmm. to like have that and that ultimate need to see that people remain unharmed that mm-hmm. are unharmed and remain unharmed or as unharmed as possible that you don't cause extra harm yeah like that that to me is the difference between a business and a nonprofit mm-hmm. but what i've seen and what i've had lots of conversations about now uh, with other folks who've been sort of in the nonprofit space is that the people who are on the who are in in positions of community building and relationship building and mm-hmm. who are who are interacting with people in the community on the regular mm-hmm. that those folks come from that perspective mm-hmm. those folks come from that like 
do the least amount of harm possible sort of perspective. Yeah. Um, and that, that desire to, to, to do no harm, which often manifests itself as a like desire to help people. Mm -hmm. Um, that seems to be sort of the driving factor for people who are quote unquote on the lower rungs of the organization. I don't really believe in hierarchical organizational structure for nonprofits, but that's just me. Um, whereas people who are on the board, people who are usually in executive director positions, director positions, usually those folks are coming from a business background. Mm -hmm. And so that is, that is the way that they know to do things. Yeah. That is the way that has worked for them in the past. So mm -hmm. why change those things? Mm -hmm. Great. And so there, there, comes, there comes into being this tension, this conflict between the, the folks who are on the business side and really scared that and saying like, this works, we know that this works. Why would we change these things mm -hmm. to things that maybe don't work? Mm -hmm to the, the folks who are more on the ground saying, okay, but these practices are harmful. Mm -hmm. The nonprofit industrial complex in particular, like tries to, instead of evoking community, attempts to evoke pity in a lot mm -hmm. of ways mm -hmm. that is dehumanizing to the people that are supposed to be the center of attention, who are supposed to be mm -hmm. being served. And so like, poor to me like is the wrong word even like we should be talking about how people in certain communities mm -hmm. whether that's a geographical location whether that is like queer whether that's trans whether that's uh people of color mm -hmm. we we don't talk about in the nonprofit space about how how these communities have gotten there like we don't tell the story of like how we got here yeah. We just assume that that is the natural order of things, but we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. And by in saying that in, in not pushing back against the narrative that this is the nat natural order of things, yeah. it's reproducing that mm. as an organization. And so instead of saying there, there used to be a, a blog post on BCM's website uh, called language at Big City Mountaineers. And it talked about the, their mission statement mm -hmm. and why BCM, why the organization was calling into question some of the words used in the mission. Hmm. Like the word, so the mission as found on the website mm -hmm. is to instill critical life skills in under-resourced youth by, provi by providing transformative wilderness mentoring experiences. Mm -hmm. And to take the word under-resourced, yep. like we're talking about students that are doing the best that they can, right. that are surviving their lives with right. the resources that they have available to them. Right. Are those not the resources of Jeff Bezos? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but, but, it also puts that under-resourcedness on those youth, yeah. on those students in a way that it isn't if you talk about students from disinvested communities. Mm -hmm. 
if you say students from disinvested communities, that points the finger where it needs to be pointed. Yeah. That says that people of color in particular were redlined into certain areas and that yeah. was where we were forced to live. Mm -hmm. And it was almost impossible to not live there until relatively recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and in those areas, no one, like no investments were put into those areas. And so mm -hmm. those areas were allowed to deteriorate. And, and so those areas were, there were allowed like factories and production plants and all of these other things that are quite frankly, environmentally racist, mm -hmm. <laughs> like into, into these areas. But then we, we wonder why, <laughs> like, we're just like, oh, and, and these people don't have a lot of money. Huh? I wonder why that is. It's like, well, they don't have the parks. They don't have the, the office space. They don't have the professional space. They're not allowed to participate in society in the same ways as in this case, white people are allowed to participate in society. And so by, by changing the how, mm -hmm. by taking, taking the narrative that like, Big City Mountaineers, in this case, supports urban youth or supports under-resourced youth. By changing that and saying youth from disinvested communities, mm -hmm. you're then saying that the youth, you're then saying both implicitly and explicitly that the youth are not the problem. The students are not the problem. Right. Yeah. And, and even that little shift of language mm -hmm. matters. Absolutely. Because again, the young people are paying attention. Like, what is it? What does it look like for those students to to walk into BCM and constantly be surrounded by summit flags that say <laughs> "under-resourced youth" on them? Like, should, like most of them, ninety-nine point nine percent of them, I'm sure, like don't even like think about it, right? But like, that is something that builds up over time. It becomes part of a narrative mm -hmm. about yourself that society is telling you. Mm -hmm. Like society is like telling you who you are, but I think that the beauty of BCM and the beauty of the outdoors is that nature don't care. Mm -hmm. Like nature just don't care. Like that tree doesn't outside my window does not care mm -hmm. uh, what color I am. That tree outside my window does not care who I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, and and so. For me, I guess, ultimately, there comes this tension between, for any organization, is this an organization that I, I feel like I can continue to support, even though it does really, really good work and valuable work, and it just makes me really mad. Yeah. Like, that, there's, that there is such a difference between the way that an organization says that it is and says that it operates mm -hmm. and the ways in which that organization continues to perpetuate white supremacy culture in harmful ways. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I really, really think that, I mean, if it's not clear from before, like I'm really convinced that Camber could do better. Right. I'm really convinced that, big city mountaineers could do better yeah because like you were saying about Knowles there was like mm -hmm. a lot that I experienced interpersonally when it came to the culture that mm -hmm. led to me not being able to be there anymore yeah yeah I didn't I didn't want to quit my job 
in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to be without health insurance uh, mm-hmm. when at any time I could be spending a month or more in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a real shame that I and others in the industry mm-hmm. feel like we're being pushed out mm-hmm. when we simply just want to be people in this industry. I feel like the bar is under the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are some organizations that are hitting it. There are some that are going over it, but it's just, it's real low. And yeah. we, we, can, we can do better. Mm-hmm. I've seen plenty of examples of organizations at least making the attempt to do better. Mm-hmm. Like they're not perfect. Right. But plenty of organizations out there right. are trying to do the work. Right. And, and part of the work is not doing the work very well, right? Like part of it is... <laughs> yes. is messing up sometimes. Is, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of the frustration, my frustration with the industry and with mm-hmm. the country right now, honestly. It's just that we, we could. We mm-hmm. could be doing a lot better. Like if... Yeah. If people were able mm-hmm. to put in the time, if people were able to put in the, in the energy and if people were able to put in the money to these sorts of things, like yep. we would be so much further along than we are. And for so, so many reasons for individuals, but for shockingly fewer <laughs> uh, reasons for companies, uh, people, people don't or can't do that work. Right. Thank you for sharing that. And I so relate to the bar being on the, under the ground and also in the belief because the mission is awesome, right? Like yeah. Knowles's mission, like I am obsessed with leadership development, you know, and I do think that those are transferable skills to being a better human being, you know, self-awareness. If we know more about ourselves, we can kind of, you know, know how we move about the world, <laughs> our behaviors, our preferences, and we start to gain an understanding of other people that are different and appreciate that, which is diversity. And it was a real shame to see two different cultures. Internal was extremely toxic. And I was really upset when I go to work for this organization that I'm so passionate about the mission about, but they don't even adopt their own mission within the headquarter walls. <laughs> it was yeah. unbelievable, you know, but the product in the field side, the instructors and the students in those life-changing moments, like that's still out there and that's still mm-hmm. alive and that's still happening. So you're in this weird position of seeing, seeing the true side of how operations are and the people that are in these positions of power not adhering to their own mission it's it's frustrating and uh kind of we share this experience and i absolutely seen this within Knowles as well happen to other people of color you know and other organizations that i've worked with there's a cycle right and i don't know if you've seen this infographic which i'm obsessed with because i so relate to it which is, you know, it's the problem, quote unquote, um, 
women of color in the workplace. And, you know, the woman of color enters the organization. It's typically like white leadership. You know, you go through this honeymoon phase because they were probably, you know, I love your question of like, I am for justice and I want to see this. And, you know, that honeymoon phase is interesting. You know, when you start to form, you know, a team or you start to form a relationship with your management and your leadership team, you so, we're so polite. We so want to be agreeable, you know? So yes, we will say all the yeses and we'll be so agreeable. It's so welcoming. It's happy. It's very positive. Uh, likely what's happening is that you are the tokenized hire, <laughs> probably likely because you do and are passionate and doing work in diversity and inclusion work, you know? And then reality sits in where we start pointing out issues within the organizations, right? We keep getting, you know, kind of blamed a little bit <laughs> and being microaggressed and we're, we're calling this out and yet we're kind of being pushed away. The organization, their response is denial, they ignore it, they'll blame other people, they're not taking responsibility, you know, and they kind of put people of color against each other and there's this denial of racism. And I loved my job. You know, I was managing three different teams and had to collaborate. I mean, like I did some really productive restructuring and reorganizing and I was loving it. I was loving the campaigns and whatnot. And I felt like I was automatically a target and, you know, just certain people in leadership started like kind of, I felt like attacked a little bit and, you know, eventually I just felt like I was pushed out. It's a common issue for sure that I've seen happen and I've had that experience too. Yeah, I am so sorry that this has happened to you and so sorry just for the the stories that I've heard like even in the last couple of weeks around mm -hmm. this. Like this is this is not an uncommon story. Yeah. And just the fact that like so many so many people have have echoed this like in in organizations for profit and nonprofit, it's Yep. It's an issue. And I think that, that part of the issue, particularly around, and I'll, I'll be interested to sort of see, and I know that we won't hear about it, but I'll be interested to see that after all of this hiring that a lot of organizations have done around diversity with diversity managers and uh, like diversity officers and diversity directors, um, I'll be super interested to see if anybody's keeping track of this, how many of those positions still exist in a year's time. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I think it's not going to be a good percentage. Mm. I think that I think that it will certainly be less. I clearly can't know, but I think that it will be sub a hundred percent. Like there are so many organizations that want things like KPIs on diversity and who want you to to have metrics and to meet metrics about changing the way that people live their lives and that is not feasible at all mm -hmm. and so like if that's one of the things that an organization wants out of a diversity officer mm -hmm. that that position that whoever whoever is put in that position they're bound to fail in my opinion yeah mm -hmm. and that's and again that's another example of like setting particularly a person of color up for failure mm -hmm. because an organization doesn't understand what they want or all of these organizations like several organizations that are hiring and who want six to eight years in the diversity equity and inclusion space when really mm -hmm. like this work has been being done for a long time yeah. but but in terms of of titles of of things that are 
of education of things that are like formal education, the yeah. things that are valued by white supremacy culture, mm -hmm. those things have only existed for five years, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe 10 at the outside. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so they don't, they don't even know what is feasible to ask for, mm -hmm. let alone what they actually want out of a position. Totally. Yeah, they're hiring these positions like they would a chief financial officer, and it's totally two different approaches to these challenges. And again, it's, um, I mean, I've worked in organizational development, so we do try to have metrics and data for culture change. And so, um, you know, and, and it gets difficult when you start to, when this position, you know, that reality check, when you start to call in, call out these things in organizations, it's the culture that's so resistant of that's not me, you know, I don't need to change. I'm a good person. So how do you actually measure that? <laughs> yeah. Or the, and, or the, I've learned all I need to learn about this. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not ideal. It's not ideal. Have you though? Cause like I'm a <laughs> consultant and I am still constantly learning. So, okay. If somebody has climbed the mountain, right. And has got to the summit, you know, I just, I have, so I have so many successful. questions. <laughs> I have so, so many questions. Who told you that you were done? Like, yep. <laughs> who, who said that? Cause I'm pretty sure yep. they lied to you. It's like calling yourself an ally. I'm an ally. <laughs> Would your would your would your marginalized friends say that? That is that is the real question. And would they say that not to you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you measure self awareness? Like, yeah. Like, anyway, you know, some of also um, some of the frustrations I also see in hiring outside sources or position, and these companies have historically and typically ignore their marginalized community internal community already so you know like for example i've brought up several issues and i was often ignored <laughs> and now they're looking for an outside consultant to come in and basically tell them the same thing so now that i am the consultant i reach out to these communities and i'm saying like what do you want me to say <laughs> And that's, that's like the that's like the funny slash like super frustrating part of it right especially yeah. like being being in it in it yeah like so you can as an employee of an organization you can scream until you're blue in the face mm -hmm. that this is problematic this is an issue this is something that we need to fix immediately this is something that we'll eventually need to get to and we're also volunteering to help on top of our job yes and so like <laughs> often these are right. These are not part of our job description. These are just things that we have voluntarily chosen to take on because they matter to us and the organization matters to us. Yes. Um, and quite frankly, that by being a member of that organization, by supporting that organization with our labor, mm -hmm. our names, like we are, we are seen as co-signing on everything that that organization does. Mm -hmm. And so that that co-signing means that we we have an investment in the way that the organization does business, whether that's external or internal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so we we want to make sure that not only is the company good, but that like we good with our communities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we that we we have multiple places where we need to be accountable. Totally. And 
it is so frustrating to hand the organization an answer to a question Mm -hmm. on a silver platter for no more money. And because the organization does not like the answer to that question, they decide to ask someone who gets paid to do this for a living. And often, like you were saying, just by checking in with the people who are already in the organization being like, yeah, okay, like, what's up, though? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and and being, being willing to, because that is a thing that I see, that I have seen a lot in the outdoors industry, is just marginalized people say something mm-hmm. that is true in our experience. Yep. The industry goes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> And then they bring in a quote unquote professional who is usually a white person who is usually a man. Yep. And that person says, Oh, what they're saying is totally true. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, this is totally true. My (laughs) goodness. I wonder what we can do about this. And the people and the marginalized people are just like, we, we've been saying what you need to do about this. We like forever. (laughs) You, you have the answer is in front of you. We are giving you the answer. We have been, yes. <laughs> you, you just have to ask yourself, have you been listening? Mm-hmm. Often when it's an answer that is hard or that, not to be repetitive, takes time, mm-hmm. takes energy, takes money. Mm-hmm. People make the decision, whether conscious or unconscious, to say that this is worth it to me. Mm-hmm or this is not worth it to me. Often that is not, that's not something that happens in, in the conscious realm mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But, but by deciding that other things are quote unquote more important, whether they are more important or not, mm-hmm. that, that is what you're deciding. You are deciding justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion are not important to you. You are deciding to deprioritize this for something else. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing when you're going into bankruptcy and all the books are in the red and like you, you've got to stop the stop the bleed, so to speak. That's right. one thing. But that is very seldom the case. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack of yeah. this simple, yeah, simple <laughs> question yeah. that I had of your experience, right? Yeah. It's, and there's there's a lot and and again like i believe that both of these organizations can do better and i i i wouldn't be as passionate about it as i am i wouldn't be as loud about it as i am if i didn't care if these things weren't close to my heart if these things weren't really if my these these organizations mission and and my communities weren't as important to me as they are absolutely yeah there's been you know i've been burned by some companies in the fly fishing space, you know, just, I would bring in a new perspective or start asking questions because leading with curiosity, you know, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't help fixing blame or coming in, you know, with judgment. So lead in with curiosity because I'm naturally curious and I was often ignored or dismissed. People turned their back towards me when I was in the middle of asking questions because they were uncomfortable, you know, they walked away. And I'm actually working with those companies now because they have taken the steps to reconcile 
their behavior and, you know, invest in being better, you know, and, and so this is possible <laughs> to, yeah. you know, we're going to mess up, but there is a way out. So, um, and we're not always going to get it perfect along the way, but at least we're, we're working together. So yeah, I like that, that it is possible. It's not all doom and gloom. And mm-hmm. I like that you're keeping the door open for your past employers as I'm keeping the door open too. It's just, it's a lot of trust that was um, broken and it, it takes time to rebuild. And what I want to see is action, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm just kind of moving forward together. But until that day happens, I'm still waiting. (laughs) Yep. Just gonna, just gonna still be waiting. Somebody made a comment and, um, which is what happened to whoever is the best qualified candidate for the position that gets hired. Skin color has nothing to do with that. (laughs) I'm going to take a moment, uh, and run my hands through my hair. (laughs) Um, so, so there's, there's a lot behind this, right? Mm-hmm. As, as you well know, mm-hmm. um, the, the first thing is I think that it kind of goes back to the conversation about language, right? And, mm-hmm. and language that we can, we can use language to show things or we can use language to hide things. Right. And so when we talk about the best qualified candidate, we have to talk about who we have to ask, we have to approach it with curiosity, right? We have to ask a lot of questions about that. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who is setting, who is setting the determinants for the best qualified candidate? Right. Um, are, are they looking at hard skills or are they looking at soft skills? Mm-hmm. Are they looking for paid experience or is un- unpaid experience? Okay. Right. Does somebody need to prove if it's unpaid experience and just sort of like self-directed learning, does somebody need to, prove these things if they need to prove them what about for soft skills like how do you prove that you have quote unquote soft skills because i think that those are some of the strongest skills that you need to have yeah um, you have empathy in five minutes <laughs> yeah exactly like how are how are you supposed to do that and then and that's not even going into history right mm-hmm. like protections for lgbtq people in the workplace particularly for trans people, don't exist in a lot of places. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so if, if your employers are transphobic, how are you supposed to stay in a job long enough to prove that you have the experience to be able to be, able to be the best qualified candidate? Yep. And, and what other things do we put on best qualified candidate? Like if it's for a business position, does this person have to own a suit? Does this person have to own multiple suits? Because some people don't have the financial resources for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like if you tried to go to a thrift store and buy something fancy, it is difficult. <laughs> yes. And finding the right size. Finding the right it's size. Finding all of, the, all of the pieces. Does it match? Like, is it fancy enough? Is it too fancy? Like, there's, there's just so, so much assumption in mm-hmm. here that everyone is as capable of conforming to white supremacy culture mm-hmm. as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Even, even if we're talking about like the best qualified candidate, we, we know that, I mean, if you've ever gone without several meals, you get angry and your mood changes. And so like, are you, are you eating to be able to put your best face forward, whether in your resume or in your cover letter or in an interview? Mm-hmm. 
Like, can can that can hunger disqualify disqualify from you from being the best possible candidate? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe. Yeah. Like, there there's so it, a, a question like that is is a is in some ways like if you take it at face value, it is you know a, a genuine question, and I don't necessarily yeah. think that the yeah. person who is asking like I don't mean to say that the person who asked this question was asking in bad faith at no, all exactly totally um so I it's I wanted to say that just because I know I, I get a little bit passionate about this um Same. but there is there is just so so much mm-hmm. um whether you're talking about skin color whether you're talking about sexuality whether you're talking about ability I mean there even from this year there are so many stories about disabled people being justifiably upset because a lot of disabled people need to be able to work from home. Yeah. But until this year, work from yep. home has been super frowned upon mm-hmm. because you'll, you'll be lazy or you'll be whatever, or yeah. whatever the, the excuse has been, right? Mm-hmm. But now suddenly since able-bodied people need to be able to stay at home to, to keep themselves safe, then all of a sudden... Mm-hmm. this is this is okay and this is expected and this is the thing that you should want to do yeah and so disabled people are understandably like but we have needed this all along what what about us right and so the best qualified candidate in in the case of the question could have been a disabled person mm-hmm. but they weren't able to come into the office and the posting said that mm-hmm. and that was the only thing that disqualified them yeah and it's also an interesting sort of it's interesting to know that I think the statistic that I have in my head is, is women specifically here, mm-hmm. but women rarely apply to jobs that where they meet less than 90% of the criteria. Yeah. I've read that. Yeah. Um, whereas with men, it's about if they apply, if they have about 50% of the criteria, then they'll apply on average. Mm-hmm. And so we also have to ask ourselves like, what, what about like, self-disqualification right Mm -hmm. and so so if if you're saying if you're saying you need six years of experience and i have five Mm -hmm. i might not apply to that position because it's you i am taking you at face value as an organization you said that that wasn't what you wanted yep and so i'm not applying for it but i might based on my experiences those like very and even if it was three years instead of six years based on the very intense experiences I had in those three years, I might be the best candidate for the job rather than anybody who applies for it. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so if we're, if we're looking at it, like from a business perspective, we have to think about like how businesses are taking amazing, hardworking, although I have feelings about that term, (laughs) (laughs) uh, just amazing, people who would succeed and do well for the organization into those positions like how many people like that are we disqualifying because we decide that we have all of these Mm -hmm. arbitrary sometimes like often arbitrary notions of what makes somebody the best candidate for the position yeah absolutely yeah i would add that also contributes to the language that we're using in the job description Mm -hmm. and um like, yeah, uh, how companies recruit, are you using a firm or is it just the hiring manager or is it third party? You know, I wish companies would also rethink referral programs because we often, 
you know, are so, we like ourselves, so we hire ourselves. There's all of that bias that goes with that. And so, you know, it's really just checking your biases, um, you know, and also I remember at Knowles, we would go back and forth of, should we hire a grad? And it was always a requirement. And it's like, what if you didn't? And they could actually bring in more qualifications, likely, and uh, likely have a new, fresh perspective on how we operate because we're so stuck in our culture that that could actually be beneficial. Um, you know, and just looking at, yeah, <laughs> in retention as well. Are we looking at that? Are we able to support them um, when they walk into the door? So I want to offer some solutions and maybe you can add it to this list, um, which is like understanding your biases, like accepting that you have them and then understanding what they are. Um, part of that can be helpful when you have a hiring committee. So like I'm really, I, when I was hiring at Knowles, I was really clear or within other jobs of like hiring committees of I have a bias towards, you know, like likability, right? And if I'm starting to feel casual with this person, I want you to like call me in on that. Or if we have too many similarities in our background or our interests, like that's also a flag that I want you to kind of help me raise and be aware of that. Um, also checking the language and job descriptions. There's actually a software called Textio. Have you heard of Textio? Have it, no. Yeah, so you run your job description and it scans it for, um, like, what is that more, it's actually, in, uh, there's also issues in, within how it does it, but like, is that masculine language or feminine language? So what would be more off-putting or um, to one sex or the other, but obviously knowing that there's other sex, <laughs> you know, gender identities out there. Um, blind recruiting, so taking off names, schools, religious affiliations, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things that I've come up with. Do you have any others that you could add? Yeah, um, so for the bias thing, the first thing that came up for me is that Harvard has a bunch of, um, I think it's, it's called like the Harvard Implicit Association Tests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it can test, you can test your personal biases for uh, like for a, a number of, of different sort of like mar more marginalized identities. Um, yeah. it, it does rely on visuals and so a lot of them are focused on either race or visual disability. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, those are those are always super interesting I think to take and and mm -hmm. to, to take over time as well to sort mm -hmm. of like see see sort of like what what progress that you're making with your biases. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I think is super important is just for to recruit people who are diverse. One of the things that you, one of the biggest things and easiest things that you can do is to list a salary range. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because by listing a salary range, people are able to know whether or not that salary is feasible for them to live on. Yes. And that is incredibly important for folks, like, especially in the outdoors, a lot of people are just like, oh, like, we don't do this for the money, but also we live in a capitalist society and we need money to survive. Right. <laughs> um, and so, and a lot of times what happens in the outdoor industry because like the perk is working in the outdoor industry and the perk is all of these discounts or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
there, there are these perks that are supposed to be quote unquote part, part of your salary. Mm -hmm. But I, or like sometimes organizations get like gear that's donated to them by like brand new gear that's donated to them by companies. And that's something that employees can take advantage of as well. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not going to pay my rent. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's not going to, to feed me, to feed my dependents, to feed my partner. Right. Um, and it's, again, I believe this is a statistic for women. Women are much less likely to negotiate salary if you just put dependent on experience. Like, yes, Glassdoor is out there. Yes, there are other yeah. websites that you can use to, to kind of get a feel for what is reasonable for your position in your area. Yeah. But women are less likely to negotiate and women are more likely to be seen as unemployable if they do negotiate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if, if you're looking for equity, if you're looking for, for, for justice, for a, for a lack of bias, one of the easiest things that you can do is to post salary range. Yeah. It's Absolutely. so easy. Right. And, and it just makes you more trustworthy as, as a company to folks who are applying because they know that you're not trying to rip them off yep. when it comes to salary. And it's holding the organization accountable too. Mm -hmm. It's like outward accountability that's easy to do, you know, and it's getting away from that white supremacy, secretive, you know, hoarding mentality. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's transparent. It's, yeah. So um, I really like that. <laughs> And if you, if you have more of a wiggle on, like if you have a range, but for the right candidate, you could go like 10 grand more. Mm -hmm. You can also say like, do this to this yeah. or dependent on experience. Mm -hmm. But people, but, but just giving people the idea of what to expect mm -hmm. it is going to make that inherently more fair. Yeah. I also think that flips it on instead of what was your last salary range, because I feel like salary ranges really anchor us. And that's like what we're always going to be known for when we list a number. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that goes into salary already in our previous job histories. You know, some organizations tie performance reviews to salary, which I am Ooh, I could talk forever about that is terrible because <laughs> there's mm -hmm. so much bias that goes into performance reviews. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 yeah. So being just transparent of this is our budget because you have a budget for this position anyway. So why not share it? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I like that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, just kind of closing out our, our discussion, our awkward conversation. <laughs> Um, so what's next for you? What are you working on? Uh, the short story is, I don't know. Hmm. Um, I, I would like to stay associated with like the outdoors, but I yeah. also, based on this conversation and also based on sort of experiences that I have had in, in the outdoors as an industry, I, I don't know if it's, worth it to me to continue to mix my survival under capitalism mm -hmm. with this space that has brought me so much solace and so much healing yeah and so while i 
Well, I would love to work in the outdoor industry again. I think that a lot needs to change, unfortunately, before I feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. Or it would have to be with an organization who has a track record of being yeah. able to be accountable and to change mm -hmm. um, in response to harm yeah. that it is that it is uh, either created or harm that it is perpetuated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I currently working for uh, as a freelance developmental editor for mm -hmm. Treeline Review, which is a gear meta review website mm -hmm. um, that goes uh, out of its way to, it's both uh, run by, it's co was co-founded by two women, one of whom is a person of color. Mm -hmm. um, and they go out of their way to make sure that they're hiring writers and editors and um, testers who are diverse, mm -hmm. um, who, who can, and, and who can speak to the beginner experience. Uh, and so I'm doing some freelance editing for them. Um, a couple more editing projects in the works. Uh, I do love, I love me some words, but like, ultimately I, I do think that I, I could, get back into the outdoor industry. I could get into the, the Jedi space. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly would like to be paid for the things that I do and continue to do um, in that, uh, in that space. Um, yeah, I, there, I, and I'm, you know, trying to, trying to keep an open mind for the future. Um, when, mm -hmm. when I feel when I personally feel like it's ethical for me to um, travel long distances again and see family, of course, like want to do mm -hmm. those things. I would love to, to, and, and I also just sort of want to be open, open to possibilities. Mm -hmm. I, I think that there are a lot of things that I could do. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of things that I feel whether correctly or incorrectly that mm -hmm. I don't have enough experience for. Yeah. Um, and that I am, I am not quote unquote, not the best candidate for, uh, that, that could be really engaging and could be work that I could use to, to sort of feed, feed my soul as well as my belly. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's really, that's really what I would love, but, mm -hmm. uh, nothing is promised and we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm excited to see what's next because I think you have a lot of great talent and skills and yeah, I'm excited to see what happens and, you know, um, obviously continuing to stay in contact and connect and however I can help. I'm so, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would love that and super same on this end. Yeah. Uh, I have, have a lot more time these days. Is there anything you want to promote? Like, how can people find you? Um, especially, you know, you said you're a freelance. Are you only with Treeline or can you, are you open to other? I am, I am open to, to other projects for sure. Um, I prefer editing. I can do a little bit of writing. Um, mm -hmm. I have slowed down on the writing projects just because it is the dark time of the year. Yeah. Uh, and I find it very hard to, to, to find inspiration in the monochrome darkness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm open to writing and editing projects on Instagram. I am at brown girl on the NST for National Scenic Trails. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah and you can dm me there if you would like to get in contact with me sweet awesome well thanks again so much for your time and sharing your being vulnerable and brave in this space for you know you've inspired um me <laughs> to speak out more and you know it's not about me it's about you know the future of um injustice equity and inclusion for others and making that space so um thank you yeah absolutely thank you thank you for providing the space and for just being rad (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to today's episode Head over to awkwardangler.com for show notes and resources. You can send appreciations by subscribing, sharing with a friend, rating the podcast, or Venmo at Awkward Angler. Special thanks to my brown folks fishing family for your support. I'm Erica Nelson, inviting you to be an awkward angler. See you next week. <laughs>